Escape from Plan A. Thank you, uh, Chairman Grassley and Ranking Member Feinstein, members of the committee. My name is Christine Wazi Ford. I am a professor of psychology at Palo Alto University and a research psychologist at the Stanford University School of Medicine. I won't detail my educational background since it has already been summarized. I am here today not because I want to be. I am terrified. I am here because I believe it is my civic duty to tell you what happened to me while Brett Kavanaugh and I were in high school. Welcome to Escape from Plan A. Uh, we've got Oriana. Oriana, how are you doing over there in New Haven, Connecticut? Good. A little wet. With yeah. All the rain. And uh, Jess, Jess, how's it been? It's been it's been good. It's bright and sunny over here. It's getting kind of monotonously so. Uh, all right. Definitely falls kind of a weird time in LA. That's because that's when everyone starts talking about pumpkin pie, and it's just. It's just the same weather that we've been having for five months already, so it's not really, it, it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. Yeah, I know, you guys, just, it's just like uh, echoes of your, your uh, you know, all like the, it's just like memories from like generations ago when people didn't live in LA. They're still somehow observing fall or something. Yeah, <laughs> you've already seen people like, like pull out their plaid like shirts and, and, and they're like, ooh, I need to get myself, you know, that pumpkin spice latte. And it's like, bitch, it's 97 degrees. You need to yeah. stop <laughs> pretending. Nothing, nothing I like more than hot cider on a 93 degree day. Yeah, and to, it gets super Instagrammy really quickly. Like, I was talking to a friend. She's, she's like, no, I have to switch to fall because my followers are all expecting me to. I, what? Right. Really? Right. <laughs> <laughs> The demands of IG. Um, okay, so, and this is Teen. And so uh, we wa- we wanted to do this pod, especially with Oriana, because Oriana is like sort of, you're, you're sort of at like the the ground zero, kind of what's happening uh, in the uh, continuing adventures of Bart O'Kavanaugh, mm. I guess is what his uh, his porn name is. I don't know what, I don't know what that <laughs> oh is, but. Oh my God. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm, Oriana, were you, I know, Jess, you were able to, like, listen to it in the ra- on the radio and stuff while you were driving. Um, Oriana, did you, did you get a chance to actually, like, watch some of the confirmation hearing? Um, and, I know, saw like, a few clips, and then I've, I've read a ton of news articles about it. So, okay. yeah, I, I saw yeah. a few video clips of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, like, I work in a, I work in a, you know, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, and so, like, at... At work, like everyone was just glued to it like all day, and it was like lawyer Super Bowl. Like everyone was talking about it at work and stuff. But it was, uh, I don't know. I thought it was like one of the craziest things I've ever seen, like f- coming out of Washington. Mm-hmm. And I've ne- like I've never seen something so dramatic, and like the, just like the whole country was like kind of riveted by this. It's just that happened maybe since. I don't know, maybe something like the Clinton impeachment or something like that. But the cast no, of let's be real. It hasn't was... been like this since the World Cup. It's just this is the athletes are old, balding, chunky, middle-aged people. This is just that, they're, and they're horrifying. <laughs> and they're so... horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, just, this is just like people... sports for old people. <laughs> yeah. No, with like Jeff Sessions earlier, that it was the same thing. No. What's that? Like with the whole Jeff Sessions testimony earlier this year. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that was so I thought that was really inside baseball. Like that was just like stuff. To me, that was just like Washington making a big deal out of its own scandals and stuff. But like yeah. here you have this and now I'm starting to really understand like why people are always saying, like, I want someone from outside Washington. Because the accuser in this case, the Christine Blasey Ford, like she was such a f- breath of fresh air, like to have someone come in and I don't know if you were able to, to watch some of her testimony, mm-hmm. but so Christine Blasey Ford, uh, if it, you know, everyone should know this by now, right? But she is someone who had contacted, uh, Di- I think it was Diane Feinstein, Senator Feinstein in California, her home state, uh, saying that she had seen Brett Kavanaugh, you know, become nominated. She knew that, you know, she knew Brett back when she was in high school and that he had, assaulted her tried to rape her and she felt like it was her civic duty to come forward and i think everyone upon hearing that was honestly uh and i know in a way i was because the i can get pretty cynical about this stuff but i was kind of half expecting uh someone who's going to be a little bit um flaky you know like someone who's going to be a little bit uh, opportunistic, someone who's going to be surrounded by lawyers and, you know, kind of like what, honestly, kind of like Stormy Daniels. Mm. And she comes out, this is like her debut in public. And you can't imagine, like, you know, it just, you can't imagine this person, Ford, wanting to do this for any personal gain. Cause I was like, this just sounds like the most fucking miserable experience ever. Yeah. I don't know. And then yeah. people were talking about, oh, well, where was she when he was getting, when he was moving up the ranks in previous years? Like, bitch, she was trying to live her life. This is this might right. be the first time that he, she came across his name, just like eating her morning cereal, you know? All his mm-hmm. other, yeah, all like, his other career like- elevations were just behind closed doors. I mean, it's not making national news. Like, was she supposed right. to keep track of him all, all this time? Come on. Yeah, and I'm sure she didn't want to remember that he existed. Like, yeah, there's no reason why she would want to seek out and figure out how he's doing. It's not like right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and and also look what happened to her when she spoke up. Like, see, this is the thing that really. I think it's so frustrating about the whole thing is it's like everything they say about like not believing the accuser is like completely on display. Yeah. Like you have like Lindsey Graham sitting here going like, I cannot believe this crap, this crap. And I'm like, what crap? Like this woman came out and is like the person that you want to put on the Supreme Court who's going to like swing. And everyone knows what this is about, right? This is. This is on the political side anyway. I mean, there's more to it than just that. But on the political side, it's they want to overturn Roe v. Wade, right? So he's he's going to be the judge that swings it over to a conservative court. Uh, and he's just like, what is this crap? This crap. I'm like, the optics of this could not be worse for the Republicans. It's like, you know what they're up to. You know they're trying to overturn Roe v. Wade. And they're doing it with this guy where there are like several pretty credible allegations of sexual assault and rape like gang rape and i loved i loved how like people like lindsey graham would say are you a gang <laughs> rapist like it was an insult to the dignity of brett kavanaugh 
to have to even say the word. You know, like, yeah. don't worry about whether he did it or not. Just the fact that, like, some person, you know, had the audacity to use such a word around him was, like, insult enough for these, like, senators and their sensitive virgin ears. It was just like, oh, my God, are you fucking kidding me? This is, like, a complete demonstration of why people don't come forward. People are also saying that it's not even about... People are just saying that it's about whether they believe her or not. The fact is that there is no way to doubt her. It's that they don't really care. And so whatever happens is going to be a demonstration of how much they don't care. It's not really a question of belief anymore. It's it's not something... It's, it, it's frustrating because you'll never be able to point to a thing that they said that would imply that. But in aggregate, in terms of, you know, Lindsey Graham's tantrum... Um, that he they unleashed. I'm not sure about the context why he why he unleashed that that little tirade. Uh, teen, you know what I'm you know you know which one I'm talking about, right? The one where he's talking. Oh about yeah, him. the one where he was like, I have never seen. I mean, he got and he got all southern. Yeah. Like, Lindsey Lindsey Graham is a very like ambiguous guy. You know, he's like never been married, right? He's he's uh, somewhat effeminate, but he can turn on that southern draw and suddenly become like a southern boy. And that's what he was doing. He was just like, I have never seen in, the, in, in my 30 years anything that is as disgraceful as what I saw today. I mean, this crap. Sir, are you a gang rapist? Like, I was like, why is he so mad? Like, it's just un, like, who's he playing to? This is what I kept thinking. I'm like, he's playing to somebody. Like, in Washington, these guys, these vets that have been around forever, never ask about like, oh, what is it that he's feeling that's making him do this? No, everything that they do is calculated to some end. And he's playing to he's playing to the same audience Kavanaugh was appealing to when he did that bit about, well, if, you know, this is going to hold me back, then it's going to hold everybody back, right? Like that that little like veiled threat, like like if this mob is coming for me, they're going to who knows who they're going to come for next. It's just Uncontrol. It's just going to be chaos, and and if if I can't if I can't fulfill my own destiny, who else is going to be stymied on their path to glory? And it's like, yeah, that's kind of the point going on right now. Yeah, it's not about it's 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 about you, but also what you represent. It is a message out there. This, the rules have changed now. Yeah, he was groomed for glory. If he had been sitting for the nomination 10, 15, 20 years ago, yeah, he's a shoo-in. But in this day, it's a very strong message. Like, like if I can be swatted down for this bullshit I pulled 40 years ago, who the fuck is going to be? Yeah, I don't know. People who haven't pulled that shit 40 years ago? I don't... I, <laughs> like, like if, 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 they're, if they're coming for me, who's, who are they going to come for next? I don't know. Another guy who pulled some shit? More people who pulled some shit? Maybe people who pull shit are no longer eligible for these positions anymore, and the rules just change that direction? Is this what your tantrum is about? And I think that, that it's that same base. It's a bunch of, I think it's to a bunch of men currently in that demographic, maybe slightly younger, coming up the ranks, who are also reviewing their past histories and kind of going, oh, well, huh, that better not come back to bite me in the ass later. I think there's a lot of nervous men out there right now. Yeah. Yeah, th that are feeling maybe a little overlooked and obsolete and vilified. And, and they're like, but I'm a good guy. 
And I'm like, okay, okay, yeah, you're a good guy, but why are you supporting people like Kavanaugh then? Right? Or it's like, I mean, what are you? What's in your past? Of- what's in your past that makes you need Kavanaugh to succeed at this point in time? Right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, we can't judge him for a few mistakes. Every time I hear that from a person, I always wonder what are you? What what's going on in your closet right now? Where you need to be that defensive over someone else's transgression right here. How, why are you so over- willing to overlook their crimes? I have a feeling it's not out of any principle. I think it's because if, they re- if they're very honest uh, with themselves, they know deep down inside their shit in their past that they will be held accountable for. If, uh, if, this, if this tidal wave keeps, keeps moving forward. I think that's the base that Kavanaugh and uh, and Graham are playing to. Well, and then you're also dealing with like, um, well, before I get to that, Oriana, I'm curious, like, you know, you're you're a college student and you're watching like all these like old people just fling mud at each other. <laughs> What's your what, what do you feel about this? Like watching adults behave like this? Well, honestly, reading the news has been very disheartening and because it's like this is completely op- like oppositional to what democracy is supposed to be and how our system is supposed to work, how the justice system is supposed to work. But on the other hand, I want to think about how it's a positive thing that at least people are actively, I don't know, the fact that this debate is so contentious and that there are a lot of people who see, like, Christine Blasey Ford's side is a positive thing, hopefully. But, yeah, because you see yeah. there's a there's a good side to this, right? Like, it's yeah. a, there's a bad, and but there's a good as well that's confronting it. Right. Like, there are so many people yeah. who have gotten to their positions of power without having to go through this trial. So the fact that there is even like that these allegations are actually having some sort of effect, even if it doesn't stop Kavanaugh now, the fact that they're feeling threatened that it could stop them in the future is at least a positive thing is what I want to think. But in the short term, it's, it's a little frightening to think about like what they're actually going to overturn when slash if, Kavanaugh gets on the court. Yeah. 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 But it also It's a huge test. Did you see- Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, it it doesn't really surprise me anymore, but I think that might be because so much has happened in the past year with Me Too and with like these accusations and just seeing like people get knocked down but then come right back. So It's that there are no ramifications. And there haven't been for forty years, right? He- there have been zero re- repercussions for that. So it's, uh, I heard that, I mean, I, like, I started tearing up when she said that, uh, you know, because I, I recognize that laughter. I, I'm, I'm fortunate I've never been a victim of that kind of assault. But I actually, but I think I was witness to one, honestly. Uh, this was back in college. Uh and um, a sorority was throwing a, a mixer. It wasn't. It wasn't very like well attended. There were only a few people. And then I remember like this. I remember a girl going upstairs. She was kind of. She was kind of hammered, uh, but I didn't know her, and she seemed like more or less okay. Uh, I didn't worry about it. 
and then I saw, and then I noticed like a couple of guys went missing from the party. I don't exactly know how, how that happened. And then like an hour later, I saw them come out, uh, like come downstairs, like laughing to each other. And like, I didn't know anything. Like I, I could only piece this together after the fact. Right. Um, it wasn't like, oh, well, she just, she's going up there to bang these two guys or whatever. And like, it was all pieced together. Uh, and I heard them laughing and just something about that laughter was so like sinister to me. I was like, uh, like, like, fuck, like without knowing anything about what was going on, like they came down, they were like high fiving and kind of, and just snickering. And like one of them was like poking around on his phone, like, sh- like he was showing, I don't know if they were like, he was taking pictures. I don't know. Um, so I, and like. And all I know about that is, you know, I tried to check in on her. She never, like, responded to my email or anything. I didn't know her. Um, And, like, a year later, like, someone had mentioned that she had dropped out of school. Um, That's horrible. That's horrible. Um, And, I mean... You know what's so fucking gross about that? Sorry. Like, I I saw tons of that. Like, uh, in college, I would... um, when I where I went to school, it wasn't that bad, or or maybe it was so big and like I just didn't run in frat circles and stuff, so I didn't really see much of that. But like um, when I went up to uh, Cambridge, uh, where you know where where kind of where you went to school, like mm-hmm. the frat parties there, I would see that all the time. And you know what's so fucking gross about it is you get guys that are out specifically looking to bang chicks only for the purpose of telling their friends about it. Yeah, like the whole the whole purpose of it, the whole idea of getting laid at that time was so you could share that with your guy friends. Yeah, and there's just something weird, fucking gross about that, right? And I remember like one time, me and my friend, we were like flying to visit a friend in London, and on the flight, we were sitting next to this girl who was uh, a, she was like a freshman sorority girl from UVA, and just like really sweet, but like. I think we were a little older than her and it was really, she was telling us like, I was like, oh, what's UVA like, you know? And she's like, oh, it's great. It's just, it's pretty crazy, you know? And we're talking a little bit more and she started telling us about how she went to this like frat party and she got really drunk and then someone like told her just to sleep on the floor. They gave her like a pillow and a towel or something, you know? And then she woke up because this, like, drunk fucking asshole, like, one of the brothers at the house, got up, saw her there, thought it would be funny to, like, urinate all over her, and then just go back to sleep laughing. What the fuck? She, t- she tells me this. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, she, he just urinated all over me, and he was, la- he, he was laughing the whole time, and then he just went back to bed, and she said, I didn't know what to do, so she just crawled, she just, like, went back to sleep. Oh, she, my she God. She completely shell-shocked and didn't know what to do and i'm thinking she's okay she's 18 she goes to uva she's told like this is what you should do you should go to these parties you should get to know these guys then one of the guys comes out and does this and you're like completely unprepared to like you know what you should have done is probably stood up kicked him in the nuts called the police you know but i don't know like when i was hearing this stuff i was just like what the fuck is going on with dudes like i can't you know and then for these guys now to just pretend like oh it's so oh i can't believe you're making me say the word gang rape to trick what is what does it mean to to boof what is a devil's triangle Ugh, you're making me say this stuff i'm like you guys invented this shit 
Like, yeah. I don't know. It just, just watching the whole thing was just like, these people are so fucking fake. It's just so fucking fake. And like, we know all about that shit because they were bragging about it, you know? Well, my yeah. question then is like, what is the incentive for like what you were saying before about how guys have sex with girls so that they can tell their friends about it? What is the, ins- like, how is that, what is the incentive structure there? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's purely there's a there's a part of it that's like this totally different. It's it just becomes a currency among men as a as a way to one up another. So it's no different than like athletic prowess, right? So it's like if I can, you know, if I can go out and uh, you know win, be the be the star of like you know intramural. Uh, whatever uh, rugby or whatever the fuck they play like that'll bring you a certain amount of respect uh, there are other things that are a little bit more positive that we can use to you know measure measure dicks basically but a lot of it comes down to the big one for some reason is just how many like how many girls can you can you, can you bang and of what quality and it just becomes this it just becomes a real material standard as to like who gets the respect in the house. And I don't know how you avoid that other than, you know, teaching men values other than domination and control, because these are always like these kinds of, I, I like want to make clear, like not all guys are like this, right? The guys who get like this and not all frats are like this, but I think the ones that do get like that, are the ones that have would probably have, for example, like really intense hazing rituals where, you know, it's all about living within a rigid hierarchy and you're either alpha or you're beta. And if you're alpha, your life is awesome. If you're beta, you're going to have to make sure that, you know, you watch out and that you're constantly serving someone above you. And your ability to bang girls, and I'm not talking like have girlfriends, I'm not talking about having a really pretty girlfriend or having a great relationship with someone. I'm talking about how many chicks at that party did you bang and then kick out of the house? Uh, Like just how, uh, just like how, how awful can you be towards women and get away with it? Um, Somehow becomes like one of the most important measuring like yardsticks for, for male status. And it's it's sad to say, but it continues on past college. Uh, hopefully, there's less of that as the younger generations come up. But uh, you know, when I hear about when I hear about Kavanaugh, I'm like, that was totally him. That was there's no way that wasn't him. It was way too prevalent for it to be unlike. To, it's just totally plausible. Like I see his face, and I'm like, yeah, I, I can completely see it. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Um, it's just, and that's like that, that male competitive drive. Like, I, that's not, like, compete all you want, right? It's just there are things you can and cannot do, right? Like, these guys who compete for girls or who, I mean, it's mostly for male status, right? Obviously, they know that committing a crime is crossing the line, right? And it just, it just so happens that, shit they do to girls is in that very gray area 
Like, you see less stories, fewer stories about these guys competing to, like, I don't know, jack cars, murder people, uh, start running drugs from Colombia. Uh, you don't see that because that's a crime. And it's very clearly delineated that th there are very real harsh penalties for that shit. But, you know, girls, you can you can get away with kind of a lot by messing around with them. So it's not really like like pathologizing male competitive drag. Like we can talk about that later, but net for now it's it's simply this is as serious a crime as say shooting someone or 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 any of the things that, you know, everybody would be in agreement on that is a crime. Somehow just assaulting women is just uh, a little nebulous. I don't a think more that nebulous they... than like hitting a think... random person in the face. I don't think guys celebrate criminality. These guys like, you know, I don't think that they would give someone props for raping a girl, it, you know, to the extent that they that they themselves view it as rape, which is a very different standard than, let's say, the legal standard or what a woman's standard would be considered. What but is that from their standard? perspective? Um, I think that the male standard is basically like, um, you know, did she enjoy it? Did she kind of want it? You know, was she like, was, was, was she one of the girls that came to this party looking for it? You know, like all these fuck, like they're completely shitty, unreliable garbage standards, but that's, it's the standards that they use. Right. And that, that's a big part of the problem. But I think that another aspect of it, um, is it's not the achievement part of it. So that, that's why I think like, like lay counts is a bigger deal than let's say athletic prowess is because these are these there is a certain code of eth like there's a male code of ethics especially in something like an elite frat where you're looking for loyalty that's that's part of the domination and control uh culture is loyalty and it's completely summed up in that phrase bros before hoes Meaning, I will never be more loyal to a woman than to my brothers. And the, you know, the, the having casual, meaningless, completely selfish sexual achievements with women that you don't care about, you hope never to see again, that everyone knows you've treated this woman in a way that's completely unfair or completely unchivalrous and, it, you know, is a sign that this guy is loyal. That he will never put a woman or the feelings of a woman before the esteem of his brothers is is kind of how that works. Kind of bleak. But I I think that it takes more than just – I think that it, you, it takes more than – will take more than just – saying we've got to get these guys to observe basic rules which of course you do but you have to it takes a lot more i think it, it takes a complete rethinking of like what kind of values you want to promote and looking at these kinds of things where 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 i think it stems from a a, a competitive environment where access to privilege and power is the only thing that matters and the key is that we are we guys we're in this frat or we're in this society or we're in this law school together we're going to get there together we're going to do we're going to do this together and by working together as men we're going to be better than everyone else and we're going to get there first we're going to get it all for ourselves and it's going to be done in the name of loyalty um 
I think that's the problem. And I think that kind of segues into uh, the, the, the weird connection here between the Tiger Mom and all the adventures of uh, Bardo Kavanaugh here. And uh, I guess to, to lay the foundation for it, both of you know who Amy Chua is, I'm guessing, right? Um, so Amy Chua is a Tiger Mom. She's a professor at Yale Law School. And she had uh, been placing a lot of Yale Law students into clerkships with both Brett Kavanaugh on the D.C. Circuit and Alex Kaczynski, judge on the Ninth Circuit over in California. Uh, both of them were known to be pretty handsy with women. I don't know about Kavanaugh. I think he just liked pretty girls in his in his uh, on his in his chambers Kaczynski was so bad that he actually got me too he's he lost his job which is a pretty big deal for a federal circuit court judge uh so he was I think either he was forced to retire basically um Kavanaugh is now up for the Supreme Court it kind of turned out that uh Amy Chua who had written a really weird defense of Kavanaugh after people were saying like okay he's here to overturn Roe v. Wade he's an enemy to women and a good case could not be made that he wasn't. And so Amy Chua, the Tiger Mom, goes into the pages of the Wall Street Journal, writes a big op-ed saying, that's not the Brett Kavanaugh I know. He's a mentor to women. I trust all my female students with him because he's great. He promotes women. How could, you know, how could he be a bad – how could he be an enemy to women if I would put my daughter – entrust my daughter with him? And she said the only downside to putting him into – the Supreme Court is that my daughter would have to find a job with some um, someone else, and I cannot imagine, you know, a better mentor to my daughter than Kavanaugh. And then, after you know the allegations come out and stuff, people start putting the heat on Amy Chua, and then it came out from some law students uh, that the media were talking to at Yale that a lot of them had a problem with Amy Chua herself. And the way she was grooming students to, you know, look a certain way, present a certain way. You want to look model-like. You want to look outgoing. You don't want to look too conservative. That's not what he likes. Uh, and a lot of students were, find, you know, really disgusted about this. Uh, and they'd been complaining about it or whatever. Now, finally, it all came to a head. Uh, and I just, I don't know. I, I've always hated Amy Chua. <laughs> and I just, like... I needed a really good reason to hate her and everything about this just like totally corresponds with how I feel about her, which is she is exactly the person who puts proximity to power and privilege above all else. It's the only thing that matters to her uh, and her own students are disgusted with her and they should be. I mean, it's the battle cry of the assimilationist. So I think this is the warning story for assimilationism, blind, unthinking assimilationism. I'm not putting a blanket statement on like the act of assimilating, but chasing the system, looking to succeed in a system at any cost. It's a worthy goal, but I think the thing that you lose sight of when you when you think about do I assimilate, do I not assimilate, you're you're assuming two things here. You're assuming that one that the thing that you're assimilating into remains completely static. That it's the rules are written in stone, nothing's going to change. This is just the them's the rules and you just have to live or die by them and suffer the consequences or or reap the rewards depending on how you want to see how you want to play it and the second is that you yourself are kind of a blank slate that you can mold yourself perfectly 
to fit that to fit your desired outcome. You can be the person who can manifest this perfectly assimilated, you know, version of yourself that has everything that you could hope for. And I think that's I think her example is it kind of puts that that assumption those assumptions to rest here. I think there's a third um thing too which is kind of a corollary of your first point but that it also assumes that the system that you're assimilating into is that nothing needs to change in that system so it's like first wave feminism like if we could get women the vote then everything will be great because there's nothing wrong with the system except for the fact that women are excluded from it Mm. Right. Um, That's still bringing women into the existing system without challenging, well, uh, the system sucks. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like assimilation kind of assumes like it's a fatalistic, like the rules are, are, are permanent. It's, it, almost, it almost precludes any moral examination of the system because it just is. And so the only question for you is, are you going to like, are you going to be able to succeed or will you fail according to the system? And you have to, to get to the levels she's gotten, you have to internalize that. And you end up having to lose a lot of, you, you can't have a moral compass to be able to navigate a system like that. You have to just simply, your due north is as, as successful as possible in the current regime. You can't be thinking, well, if only things were different here, then, you know, or maybe I could, you know, work harder in this area to kind of, you know, tilt the balance in my favor this way, or this just whole thing sucks. I'm going to flip the table over and march on out because I'm just fucking done with it. You have to just say, no, this is, you have to assume that this is a live or die, a life or death kind of struggle here. And I think her example here is she's chasing that to the bitter, bitter end. I was just going to ask if either or both of you have read Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. I actually liked the book. Um, I can't recall too much of it, but I mean, a lot of it was kind of, I did see it as a refreshing antidote to a lot of really, uh, like, really weird parenting, like, like a wave of parenting, like, uh, parenting advice uh, from about like 10, 15 years ago, which was really wishy-washy. Like, you should let the child determine everything and, you know, they learn at their own pace and, you know, accomplishment is is uh, overrated and, you know, this is this, this is how people were meant to be, etc. So on and so forth. And, you know, she had she marched on in saying, oh, hell no. No, this is if, if you're trying to parent properly, your job is to convince, you know, instill in your children rules, discipline, the benefit of hard work, dedica dedicated struggle, you know, delayed gratification to the nth degree. And this is the only way uh, you give your children the tools that they need to survive out there in the world. Um, I mean, I think looking back now with the benefit of time and with this current example i think it puts i think it shades the meaning of her advice but standing on its own at the time i thought it was it was worthy advice i mean yeah. i've been pretty flippant about it saying i was pretty like pretty upset that she was giving away all our trade secrets um <laughs> but like and it honestly it's not it's it's not bad advice and it's there's still an element of truth to it that I'll always stand by that there is that there's definitely balance involved in parenting but ultimately you you know if you want to raise up a, gen, a 
a generation that's going to be successful, that's going to be, you know, get have the internal tools to succeed, then you do need to instill these things. Unfortunately, given, you know, given her latest, you know, antics, it's it's like then you're teaching your kids to be dedicated to a system without really having the tools to evaluate uh, what what they're getting into. This is still creating a second a, another generation of assimilationists in a sense without really having the ability to challenge question or reprioritize uh i feel like a lot of parent people a, a lot of asians will be able to understand you know the phenomenon of the tiger parent right um and i feel like we actually owe an element of gratitude to very disciplined, very maybe authoritarian parents who pushed us to succeed in the system. But it's also it's also incumbent on us to then be able to use the, that same upbringing, those same tools, and, and our own experiences to reflect and say, well, this is how I would refine it further to be a more complete, uh, a more complete guide to raising, say, another generation and for, you know, our own lives as well. But she didn't just stop there. She, you know, she started. She started going into like uh, really troubling areas of like race science, and she's got this book out after that called the Triple Package, where she was like, if you look at you know Chinese diaspora plus Jewish, they're always there are always these like minority groups that you know do so much better than the local natives, and you know why is that? Uh, you know, it's superiority, it's insecurity, it's like sense of superiority and insecurity, you know, of their identity or of their survival within this larger group. And they have a, a, an excess amount of impulse control. And it's like, okay, it's, it's one of these things where it's like, oh, all of a sudden they're going to go that Gladwellian way of like boiling down this very complicated thing about why do Jews do so well? Why do Asians do so well? Oh, hey, it's an Asian and Jewish couple. They've got all the answers. They both go to, they're both professors at Yale Law. They must have the right answers. Let's get into bunk race science. And I, it's just, they, they take it too far. Like if she was just like a normal human being that, kind of had her own like you know strange or or her own parenting approach that'd be one thing but she's like pushing out concepts like race science and stuff it's like where the fuck is she getting this stuff meanwhile i don't yeah i haven't mm -hmm. read that book so i'm gonna i'm gonna rely on your judgment of it yeah i did hear the reviews that kind of corroborate what you're saying yeah well and people love these books here's the thing like uh, it's it's interesting that the three of us are talking because I would say like the three of us have all had experiences with going to an elite school. Um, I went to an elite law school uh, and I went to Columbia and Columbia thinks of itself as one of these schools. Right. And when you get in, I, I noticed that like the feeling is because it was rel relatively new to me. I went to like a, you know, I went to University of Maryland which for undergrad, which is like, you know, kind of a middling state school. So it didn't have that feeling about itself. But when you get to like Columbia, like there's this weird, I don't know if you experienced this at the schools you've, you, you, you've been to or at Yale where you're kind of flattered by the professors and stuff into, and others into saying like you are definitely one of the elite. I remember that that was the first thing I was told in class was that all of you need to relax about class status because you're already in. I mean, they, they just straight up told us that They're, the the professor who was a great professor, by the way, was just like, you can just stop worrying because now you are in. 
Uh, and now that you're in, right, then you can kind of, you know, um, stop worrying so much about it and, and focus on whatever it is you actually want to do with it. Um, but there is this nagging sense of like, oh, I've been chosen. I'm one of I'm one of them, you know, and you you become very open to their ideas because they're all new and they're very different than people that you know in normal life because the people in these spaces i think in elite spaces tend to be a little bit less human and you have to learn about like i can imagine that amy chua thinks it's completely fine and almost commendable to tell her students being a little bit real politic about how to get um a really top judicial clerkship is like yeah uh kavanaugh likes sexy girls so just put on something sexy it's i know it's like you know that's not the nice thing you want to hear but that's just how things work and you know there's this there's there's a there's a really strong cultural like a really strong social pressure that are put on these young people who don't know how to say no especially to someone like a like your own professor that's telling you this so i guess i'm happy to see Oriana, like to the extent to that there's there there is starting to be pushback by students on campus. And I think I think it was Dan Chen or someone who had wrote, written this article about how Yale law students have grown uncomfortable with the way that their law school cozies up to um, or is very is is celebrating mostly its own proximity to power. And when Kavanaugh was first nominated, you know, the school was celebrating like, oh, my God, this might make the fourth active Supreme Court justice that went to Yale Law. Yale truly is, you know, the greatest law school in the country or whatever. Completely overlooking anything about, you know, is Kavanaugh a good guy? That's really uh, so interesting. Ha- mm-hmm. No, yeah. just, yeah, like that, but also what you were saying about feeling, about being told that you're part of the elite, because I feel like maybe that's a generational change in that I think at least the undergrad here is pretty competitive and people there are some professors who will act that way but on the whole they won't really talk about that fact so and this is probably going to sound very pretentious but like most of the time when I'm here I'm thinking about how you know just like how amazing other people around me are and how you know how much I still have to learn and have to do and it's only when I get home and talk to people and they're like oh what school do you go to and I say Yale and they're like oh my god Yale like that's kind of when I re-remember that I go to Yale but when I'm actually here Mm -hmm. that's definitely that's absolutely not the way that I feel I I felt hazed by my undergrad really like did not get any sense of like like yeah I, I mean like you never really feel like you're in they always do they always kind of keep students at arm's distance to kind of keep them competing and competitive it's not a very it's a terrible school i'll be honest i i would i would not send my own kids there for reasons we can talk about at another time but like i so yeah I'd, when i was on campus i'd i'd feel like a total idiot and be only like like after in an internship or something when people would like listen to what I say and actually think I'm saying something good or like they review my work and they're like, oh, this is great. And I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean? This is great. I've been told all year how stupid I am. Um, 
So, yeah, I never really got the sense of, like, belonging to an elite establishment. It was more like, we have we have elites here. If you can jump through these hoops we put in front of you, then maybe we'll let you have some proximity to that. And, you know, and maybe we'll not call you stupid as often. Mm, mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, it might be an issue of law school. I know, like, it's because in law school, what they're really, they're trying to, like, get the students to, uh, it, you know, it's all self-reinforcing, right? Like, the, the, if you look at, like, that chamber, like, in that hearing, like, the number of people that were associated with Yale and just the sheer number of people in power that are associated with Yale in one way or another is astonishing. In hey, some ways, I think Yale is could actually... Could you talk about mm-hmm. that? Like, could you talk like like these funnels to these positions of power, right? It looks uh-huh. like, as an outsider, if you look at you know the very highest reaches of government law, uh, like Supreme Court justices and presidents, pretty much come from Harvard, Yale, or Stanford, right? Like you have to be affiliated with at least one of those schools to even have a shot at getting at getting into a position like that. So, um, like, what's going on there? Why? Why like is we it like have that? Great law school. Yeah. Why is it like that? Yeah. Is it like the pull of powerful alumni that kind of work behind the scenes to keep propelling their own? It's kind of like this, this uh, like gravitational force, or is there something special about the curriculum that seems less probable? Like, what's going on? Oriana, do you have an answer to that? I mean, <laughs> do I have? An I have answer? a theory, but I'm just curious if you if if you see any anything about Yale in particular that. Uh, creates this um i don't know i mean people say it's alumni but also people say that that's changing a lot now people used to say like oh if you're in skull and bones for example then you're gonna have the connections that can get you there um but then people are also saying like oh it actually doesn't really matter if you're in a secret society or not it's just people are just people and i don't know so yeah, I don't know. It's very likely that it might have been true even like 20 years ago that it was very much like alumni networks and things like that. But now it's hard for me to say. So I feel like I don't really have like the perspective. I don't really understand these clerkships. Like they seem pretty important. Like whenever you see someone stepping into like, uh, into a position of power, they'll be like, "Oh, this attorney, so and so, uh, he clerked for Ruth Bader Ginsburg or something." Yeah, and so like, what does like, that I, mean? I don't. Yeah, what does that? What does it all mean? I mean, it means like um, that if you if you look at like a if you look like a federal judge's uh, office, their chamber, um, you know, it's a lot of like research and writing and formatting documents and responding to motions. There's a lot of like work involved, paperwork. And the judge, the judge, especially the the federal ones with uh, more um, more prestige, uh, you know, they like to sit back and not have to like, you know, make sure that all the uh, citations in the decisions in their opinions are correct. They want to make sure that you know every citation that the lawyers submit is correct. There's like a lot of fucking like legwork that needs to be done, so they get clerks to do it. And so that, that way, the judge can sort of sit back and just kind of have their own private, just think about what they want to do. But the clerks are going to go do all the sort of like the the really the really arcane uh, work of 
a judge, which is, you know, checking citations, making sure the language and the, you know, the, the, in the motions are correct, blah, 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 blah. They do all the legwork. Uh, but what happens so is you like, end up like, getting to know people really well. And that judge, oh. you can, you know, they can just, they personally know you, you know, and now you're a okay. known quantity, you're trusted. And then it's really a, the only way for you to yourself become a federal judge, you know, it's like an apprenticeship okay. so, in a way. Does that mean that like people who like like Amy Chua and her husband, um, who kind of control these pipelines to these judges, like like what would it take to clerk for say a Supreme Court justice? Would you have? Would they reach? Would these justices reach out to like their alumni networks, like a professor back at Yale or Harvard or wherever, and then they and then they that professor or whoever somebody in Amy Chua's position sends a batch of candidates over to them, so. Is that how the funnel happens for these people? Yeah, so, it's, I think it's a lot alumnus. less. Okay, so these people. Yeah, from I think it's a, it's a lot less. It's a lot less. Alumni. It's a lot less formal than like just saying getting like a job in the government. You know, it's it, yeah. It, there's an informal alumnus network that that will operate, and it's it's. Uh, I don't want to say it's completely word of mouth. There's like an interviewing season for this stuff, and there's an application process or whatever. But the reality is that like a lot of it happens. Because, uh, you know, the judge is going to talk to the school and the school has like someone who, who does, you know, coordinates uh, for judicial clerkships and stuff like that. And there's a lot of at, look, if you're at Yale Law and you're a professor, um, you're dealing with some people who are putting out like a serious amount of like public, you know, they're publishing a ton of like arcane papers that no one will ever read. It's a lot of just boring work, just be doing the job of a professor you know, uh, and for someone like Chua, I think it was pretty clear. It was like, okay, you can shortcut your way into uh, a really nice reputation or powerful position on campus if you're seen as someone that controls or has a way into the Supreme Court. And if the way that you're going to get in there is by acting like the Mamasan for, you know, Judge Kavanaugh, uh, old, you know, old rapey. Uh, then so be it. And she's willing to do it because it is going to be such a boon on her lifestyle and career to be known as, you know, the woman who teaches like contracts uh, law or whatever, not really known for being like a stellar legal scholar in her own right. I mean, what 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 does Amy what I mean, she's done some work, but it's like not exactly shaken up the world. No one even knows what it really is. I mean, people know her as a tiger mom, not her work on foreign policy or whatever. And. I think it would just be a nice shortcut for her to say, like, you all can become your subject matter experts that nobody cares about. I'll be like, you know, the media star with like a series of published books that are on bestseller lists. And I have, you know, Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh and Ninth Circuit Court Judge Kaczynski and my in, you know, in my uh, in my phone contacts list. And I know exactly how to get people placed in their chambers. And it was just such a sellout of all of her, her, the duties that she had to her, like, students. Like, for example, like, what if, what about the students that she didn't think Kavanaugh would find attractive? Like, what about the, not to mention the guys that just don't count, but like, whatever. But what about the girls that she was, that from Amy Chua's perspective, you know, wasn't exactly the kind of thing that Kavanaugh was looking for? I mean, that's so fucked up, you know, and I, I just – just to further her own career. Yeah, she writes in Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother that she 
doesn't that she felt really like out of her depth maybe it's not the best phrase but that she didn't really feel feel like law was even like being a law professor was even necessarily her calling and that she struggled to keep up with like being an academic so it that totally lines up with the person that she already said she was yeah yeah it's a very deep-seated insecurity and you know once you're in that survivalist, you know, insecure, insecure in your own, you know, ability to survive or thrive or win, you end up selling your soul. She didn't feel like she, you know, she may have lost her way entirely. You know, she literally could not see anything wrong with Kavanaugh, right? That's the risk you take if you go down that road. Yeah. I mean, she really couldn't have seen that there was anything wrong with what she was doing or what Kavanaugh was you know, implicitly asking or yeah. explicitly asking for, or like what, like there was just, because otherwise it doesn't make any sense for her. If she realized that it was morally wrong, she wouldn't have sent her daughter there. So it wasn't. Exactly. She, she didn't even see that it was morally it was a, wrong. It's a softer. Yeah. It's right in that gray area. Um. So, you know, it's not like she knew he had assaulted a girl in high school she did have a long relationship with him. Uh, and in knowing that, you know, she is pri- like, the, you're right, like the girls who maybe were a little chunky, a little, a uh, little not so outgoing, not quite model material. Yeah, though, she sidelined those women. And that's that should be accounted for. Uh, but for the women that she did, she did select she act, I do see it as her, uh, her attempt to prime them for success. It's just success in a in a in a disgusting out system that's rapidly going out of style, um, for which I'm glad. Um, because I mean I'll, I'll say it I I've had female mentors well quote mentors who were worse than men in this in this, but so as much as I was disgusted and hurt at the time, honestly what they were saying was real. And it was true. It's just a matter of if I wanted to abide by those rules or not. If I wanted to, and for a while I did, I had to follow those rules. So the female professor, like no no male professor ever ever said any, breathed a word about anything like this to me, but a female professor, you know, junior year in college saying, you know, uh, you, you probably will be much better uh, primed for uh, a good reception to the thing you're presenting if you lost weight and, you know, wore something, you know, paid a little more attention to your wardrobe. And at the time I was shocked, like, how how fucking dare you? Like, A, it's my work, not me. But on the other hand, do I not want as great of reception for this work uh, as I want? Like, this is my introduction, like, this is my, I am, by, by saying I'm accepting this speaking position at this conference, I am actually saying, yes, please include me in your, you know, uh, please notice me. Please uh, consider me a candidate for success in this uh, industry that you guys control. So do I not want to be accepted as much as possible? Uh, that's a tricky question. As much as it would be great to say, like, no, just flip the bird and flip the table and storm out, it's it's not realistic to say that. Um, so it, in retrospect, I'm glad I got out when I did. And I'm glad I got out without having sold more of my soul than, uh, the, than I would have wanted to. But 
it's true that if I had wanted to stay and dig in my heels, this was actually good advice if I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. I hear you. So it's re- it's really hard to reconcile. It's really it's really easy now to say she should never have done that. It's for these women, you know, for for these girls, she I do see it as a very very misguided way to convey some uh to give them good advice. I think so too. I think she's being genuine in thinking that she did nothing wrong, right? And I think that to the extent that she did something wrong, I would say from her perspective it's like, well, that's the fucking system that we live in, isn't it? But now I think even okay, even accepting that, even saying everything that you're saying about, okay, this is the best, this is the the most practical and advice that I can give you in an imperfect world. And I and I'm just gonna tell you about the world without, you know, the rose colored uh without rose colored glasses about how it really works. I'm gonna tell you the truth and take it or leave it, but that's how it, how it works. Okay. In that system, I find it's just really frustrating as a young person to realize this. You've got older people that you respect telling you stuff that really falls short of your, uh, your own ideals, right? But maybe that's how it is. But I think when you get these chances, when you get a, a Brett Kavanaugh being hounded with rape allegations in, in, in the Senate, in the Senate hearing room, when you have masses of men and women and men who are just completely disgusted with the entire system and the entire culture or whatever, and they're saying, no, like, we're going to stand up to all of this. I think in those moments, you've got to take the opportunity. Do you know what I mean? Which is like why I'm happy that the law, the, the students at Yale are, are standing up to it and disgusted with their own law school saying, we're, we're, we're students of yours. We were expecting better. Like, how can the elite, even the elite school like Yale cave to the demands of some horny old toad over in the Ninth Circuit? Like, Yale law can't stand up to Brett Kavanaugh's demands for pretty model-like girls. Like, they should have just been like, fuck you. You don't get any of our – I mean, in the re- way it should have worked, I think, is that she was would go complain and say, like, I don't think we should send any of our students to either Kaczynski or to Kavanaugh anymore. Just cut him off. Or if we're she's Yale. so friendly with him, tell him, uh, just use that personal influence. This is the thing that's about assimilationism that I, I I want her known as a case study for assimilation. Uh, you end mm-hmm. up losing that sense of self in that case. You end up for, you end up ne- in your pursuit of success. You never feel successful. Because there's just never us any kind. You're not standing on any firm ground. You're basing your self worth on what someone else is thinking of you at all times. That's that's crazy making. She's a successful person. She is. She has notoriety. For a long time, she was way more famous than Brett Kavanaugh ever was. You're te- she's a professor at law at Yale. She's an, a notable author and public figure in her own right. She couldn't sit Brett down and say. Look, you're over one. This shit just has to stop. B, you're actually overlooking really talented candidates because of your fucking preference preferences for how they fucking look. Like you're telling me she can't have a talk with a friend from a position of power. Does she yeah. lose her her own sense of self and her way forward that much? Where she still needs to suck up to this guy. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like she's accumulating power but never to an extent where she can actually exercise it. Yeah. When it matters. Like you will, unless, 
unless you know fully why you're doing what you do and what it is you're hoping to gain, you're, it's never going to be enough. You're always going to be looking for something more. It's always going to be from someone else's perspective, too. It's never going to be, I want this. It's going to be, I want this because someone else wants it. So it must be good. This is this is an this is an insane way to live, and I don't think it's it's ultimately going to lead to nothing but pr trouble for you and for a lot of people if you actually do manage to achieve some level of success. It'll get you far. I will say that if you're willing to sell yourself pieces of yourself like that, uh, I mean, she got a high price for it. She got a really good deal. I would say she did. Yeah, she uh, did. But, like, now you're seeing what it all culminates in. It will send you down paths that you would not go down if you had maintained some better sense of self. So it's, I'm not actually even saying, like, don't assimilate or anything. That's not... I think that's that kind of dialogue, like, oh, we're just going to, I don't know, like, move back to China. We're totally against assimilationism. Like, that's not that's not it, right? Like, Like, speak English, go to school, be successful here, but you have to be very very sure of what you want and what you're willing to sacrifice to get it and if I that agree. sacrifice is something is something like your fucking moral compass your ability to actually know when you've to be able, hell the ability to enjoy your success right i think that's a critical one like what's the point of all of it if you actually can't sit down at the end of the day and think like wow i am a badass i managed to accomplish all this i enjoy my life i am thankful to be alive and i really love all that I've had to do to get to this point in my life. I think a lot of people lost that yeah. ability. Yeah. Right? And, I, and I, I would say that the, the experience for me uh, going to um, law school was that and, 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 and pursuing a career too in law is like, you do kind of ultimately need to keep a certain amount of distance and alienation from the system under which you work. Cause you know, it's fucked up. It's not completely fucked up. Like, there are aspects of it that are good. Uh, but there are other aspects to it, like the stuff that, you know, the stuff that Traub was dealing in that are really bad. And you got to kind of be comfortable with the fact that the system in which you, you want to be a part of and you want to be successful in, you've got to have your own criticism of it. You know, because I think that the, 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 the truly comfortable ones, like the ones that truly have made it, are the ones that can be openly critical of the system in which they are successful. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's but ownership, then the question I think. Is, mm -hmm. Ownership, yeah. But then the question is, if you're critical of it, are you actually enacting any change by being part of it? Or are you just critical in speech but not in action? Well, I, I would hope that it meant, you know, that includes action. Right. right and 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 being being adamant like if something like this were to come up regarding uh judges that are asking Yale law to provide only attractive girls that they would stand up to that because i don't i don't think that that's actually such a huge leap i i would think that if especially if you're with a powerful institution like yale that it has the power to do that and i think it's just this you know the problem with tra i, I and i agree with Jess on this is you know buying too much into a system uh, where you're buying into it more than anyone else around you. Because I would think like, you know, and you said, Oriana, it's really interesting that she said that in her book, that she felt kind of out of her place. In fact, that might be one of the reasons that she did this, right? Is like she felt like she had to comply with everything that the system secretly wanted from her. 
in order to not to, in order to feel like she belonged. But what she failed to realize, and now she, you know, it's funny because like I was, I, I, I remember I tweeted something about how how people sh- like, hey, remember I've always hated Amy Chua, right? And uh, Yale Law Professor retweeted what I said, so I'm like, they're. Yale Law is very unhappy with her, right? Like the system that she was sucking up to, so to speak, hates her. And I think part of it is she didn't feel ownership. She didn't feel like that she had a valid claim on the school enough such that she could impose her own will and standards upon it. And she just became this almost inhuman, this almost inhuman succubus that's just like just willing to entertain anything that any powerful white man wanted you know it's just awful yeah that's the th- i see it i actually see it a lot in um in in varying degrees right feeling like you were pressured to have buy-in but without any without any return without feeling any ownership mm-hmm. of it this always means that you're the yeah. prime cheerleader but you never have you never feel your own power in being able to exert your own will your own opinion so you're propping this up and you have to buy into it with all your being. I think you end up mm-hmm. having to ditch your soul long long before you ever, you know, get to the where where Chua gets. So, mm-hmm. yeah. like I I don't have it in me to say she's evil, right? That she's mm-hmm. not that. She was a participant in a system that she never felt. She was a We can look at her and say, "Bitch, you were powerful." You had influence. You could have used this in very powerful ways that actually empowered, you know, the next generation of women. And I mean, she sent mm-hmm. her own daughter to clerk with him. I don't, I don't doubt that he, once the, I don't doubt that Kavanaugh kept his hands to himself during, the, during his professional life, right? Like mm-hmm. that doesn't seem up for question. So I, I get what she's trying to do for these, the select group of women, but it's also like, how, how fucking sad was all of that? I Yeah, you're to end always up like that. in second place. Yeah, you're always in you're never going to you're never going to feel firm footing in where you, in your own life. The life and name me one person from Yale who's come out to defend her. You know, like no one's come out to defend her because they knew like it, sucking up to the system wins you no respect. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it'll it, people will like will find you useful, and so I don't think Brett Kavanaugh gives a shit about Amy Chua, right? He just was like, yeah. man, that she is able to get me some beautiful honeys out of Yale or yeah. Harvard or whatever, right? Like that's all he cared. But he doesn't respect her. He just sees her as a mama son over at Yale. You know, like um, I think he maybe he would show some bear some teeth and and uh, and 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 throw a tantrum at a at at you know, uh, a professor that told him off. Yeah. But I think that such a person would, I don't, I don't care about Brett Kavanaugh's respect, but I don't know. I, I feel like that person would it's walk not, away it's with not a lot about more specifically about Kavanaugh. Like how many different ways did she, how many opportunities in the last, like, I don't know, like, was it like 10, 15, almost 20 years since, uh, Amy Chua first stepped into like, like national fame right mm-hmm. how many opportunities for change did she walk by did she decline to pick up on how many yeah. how many chances for legitimate empowerment uh like self-empowerment even how yeah 
actual, you know, advocating on the part of, you know, women, minorities, whatever, you know, whatever cause she will claim she supported in her tenure at Yale. How many chances did she yeah. decline to pick up on or actively do her best to squash because it didn't align with her own agenda for power and what power is supposed to look like? Yeah. Like it it's not a, it's not strictly about what Kavanaugh did. It just makes me wonder like like how much shit did she pull along the way? that could have made a lasting change. It's just that mentality. I think if you just have a sense of self um at at every age, right? And at every point in your, you know, professional and personal life. I I don't think it leads you to where where Chua went. Yeah, and you don't have to feel like you're constantly like if I don't comply, I'm just going to fall off this uh conveyor belt into power. Uh cuz that's just not how things work. And I, and and I guess Oriana, in a way, I feel like it, it's actually like a good time to be a student now because I just feel like people are just so, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, just I, I wouldn't say you and I are of the same era. I'm uh, a bit older. But by the way, today I'm turning 40. So I got to run to my birthday. birthday dinner soon. But like, oh, thanks. happy birthday. Uh, people told me to keep the 41 on the DL. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank, thank, thanks, thanks, thanks. Good, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like... I would say that, you know, I, I'm glad that I feel I feel like young people now are maybe a little bit more aware that, um, you know, there's 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 no point in slavishly uh, chasing the gold ring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got you got to you got to you got to take a you got to take a path uh, that, you know, where you're making decisions for yourself based on your own values and stuff. And and I think now, especially like with the amount of transparency that your invisibility that even private lives have um you know just through the internet etc um it's probably the better thing to do because you know you want to you want to look back on your timeline <laughs> or your email record or whatever the fuck is going to be dragged out into a senate hearing one day uh and say like yeah i'm pretty confident that everything in there is going to be consistent with you know me not having done that shit because you know, I never caved to it. So I don't know. I think it, I think the pressure was higher back then, but I think there's finally some youth consciousness around it now, which I'm happy about. Yeah. I kind of came of age in that era when there was more lip service, but nothing actually happening. So that was kind of mm-hmm. maddening on its own, um, where it was like, oh, yeah, things are changing. Things are better for women and minorities. And nothing was. Uh, so that was crazy. Yeah. Making. But this is like the first time I could actually see the glimmer of it being uh, like true. Um, yeah, it's so exciting. As, I think it's a great time to be coming up professionally, like as a student now. But I also see, like, like I'm a handful of years out from undergrad, so you know I've been around in the world for a little bit, and for the first time now, like, um, I feel a little bit, like I don't have to be ashamed to openly say, no, I'm advocating on behalf of you know women of the actual minorities that you guys just all claimed you were you were including and it's also not even mm. part of like demanding inclusion it's we have our own table now right i don't mm-hmm. want to seat at your fucking table like we have our own table too and mm. if you ask nicely maybe i will come over to your table and help you out for a while but ultimately, mm. I'm not begging at your door, and I have nothing to lose by saying I, – I don't have anything to lose by saying uh, no, and also this is how I'm going to conduct myself while I'm – while I am currently – while I'm allied with you for however period mm. of – you know, whatever the term of that alliance is. So I feel actually pretty good about it. I mean, have you guys read that article in The Atlantic, you know, why women hate female bosses? 
No. No. I want to. Yeah, it's yeah, I'll um I'll I'll send it to you guys and I'll also um make sure that it gets in the podcast write up because I think it's a must read. Okay. It's a it's 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 a really comprehensive piece about, you know, attitudes towards female bosses and mentors, covering people who kind of came of age through the late 80s into the early aughts. And uniformly, everyone hates female bosses, especially women. And this kind of flies in the face of, you know, every assumption made by like diversity panels saying if you just include more women, then they'll passively bring up, you know, then it'll just, you know, everything will be wonderful and peaches and unicorns will fly out of your boardrooms. And it's and it wasn't that at all. And I'm actually a testament to just how bad female mentors could be. Because again, like these are women who came up in a really harsh punishing system and they prided themselves on being that lone female survivor in that system. I see. Like, yeah. Yeah. So they didn't have the and, concept and actually, of a more fulsome concept of Yeah. And saying like what, they went through this gauntlet. And this is just mm -hmm. what it means to survive in this context. Like, I remember my, mm -hmm. uh, a female mentor, she was in her, I think about mid forties when I was 22, mm -hmm. uh, in my days in New York, I won't name the institution, but, um, and I remember like, it was a terrible scene. Like one guy mm -hmm. guessed my bra size. Uh, he happened mm -hmm. to guess correctly. And for some stupid reason, I actually said, yeah, that's correct. Wow. Uh, and that's <laughs> like forever since, since that moment, he would just refer to me by my bra size. Mm -hmm. Like an email in is, front of what? people, without naming yeah. without naming names. This this is an institution that most people will know. Yeah, right? like major it's a, financial it's a household institution. Name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and like like incidents like that, right? Just a pervasive undercurrent of disgusting, beha undermining behavior, right? It's mm -hmm. just like I textbook. Saw it too. Um, and then I, saw I and it too. then so I, I went to this this person I, I viewed as a mentor figure you know mid-40s very successful in her own field and I and I complained and I remember she her like face darkened and hardened and she just looks at me like this is what it takes to succeed here are you you know are you some pussy right like I survived wow. this if you can't cut it then your place is not here mm -hmm. right like 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 That's if a very this Amy happens, Chua type of uh advice you yeah. received there yeah, and mm -hmm. it's like like you either suck it up, you know, if this happens again, don't come complain to me because I don't have your back on this because I don't defend, you know, like I'm, I'm not, I don't stand up for weak ass bitches who can't tolerate a little pressure at work or something. Mm -hmm. And she probably uh, thinks it's like tough love that she's giving to you, right? Yeah, totally. So like, like I remember being just like broken by this, like this person that I'm like laying, like it's very mm, uncomfortable yeah. to be that kind of like vulnerable, especially in professional setting because you're being, you know, I'm very young at that point, and my and she entire had credibility is, with you. She's a woman that yeah. did the thing that you're trying to do, and it she revealed the secret, yeah. and it's credible, right? That's the worst part of it. It's probably correct, and it's uh, it was absolutely in her, in true. Way. Yeah, like yeah. she was telling yeah. me stories about like she was actually like raped in the stairwell, right, by a boss of hers. And, like, she teared up a little and, like, flicked one, like, perfectly manicured, like, flicked it away with one perfectly manicured finger and was like, but that was 15 years ago and look where I am now. And part of me is like, like God, um, so I'm going to have to, like, deal with rape in a stairwell if I want to, is mm. that what I'm being told here? Like, I'll take a pay cut and leave because I'm not, I don't want that. And Plus, I, you know what? I did every, leave. Every day, and you know, every what she's telling is like, every day is going to be a struggle. This is going to suck. And you're, and I guess what I want to know is, and this is what I, I want students to even be more entitled than they used to be, which is like, it shouldn't suck. I just don't think it should suck 
that bad. Like we we were like raised into almost and 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 acculturated into a sort of almost masochism where the marker of your ascension and your elite status was evidenced by the amount of suffering that you had to do. You it's know, a both. drawn out like thirty year haze. Yes, and you yeah. prove yourself by how how well you can you can jump through these very arcane you know dangerous hoops, and it's mm-hmm. and it's like like well, why do I have to? But if you want to do it, like the rewards are massive, right? This woman, this mentor, she she made well into the seven figures, right? She had a great life on the outside. So by mm-hmm. like she sh- if we just looked at her CV, yeah, she's a beacon for success, and and I can see a lot of people, a lot of women maybe, uh, who suck it up and kind of deal to get that kind of payout for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just know that like I made that choice to not be in that system, but I also remember like feeling for freaking years afterwards that I was some sort of failure for it. Uh, right. Because that was the only metric for success I had. I had kind of internalized for myself. Like I knew I was making a choice that I felt good about for myself, but it's also like, yeah, I, I, I'm not earning in the seven figures. Right. I'm not like, so I felt like a failure. I felt like I failed womankind. Right. I felt like I failed Asians for not, for not having stuck it out and survived in that, in that environment. And like, for the first time I can actually see like, like actual change like for a long time women i don't feel like women were really comfortable associating with each other in the workforce especially in the days when there literally was only one seat for women in a male dominated space so of course you're kind of in competition with all other women because they're all gunning for your seat or you're all gunning for the same one fucking seat i want to believe i want to believe that a lot of men and not just like minority men and you know asian men black men, but also white men i want to believe this and i think it's true that uh they want to see change too i think most guys don't enjoy uh the, the this top-down uh domination type culture and yeah i don't think so either they, it's terrible for everyone yeah but i think like, that for women, the role that men, I think, secretly want women to play, or we should, is not actually like better women, like more defiant women that are willing to, that are going to impose a new morality, climb the ranks, and then, uh, and then, and then impose a new system from top down. I just think like the mass of women that are in uh, the corporate world, in academia, that they simply just start acting more entitled and feeling more at home. Uh, yeah, I, I, I almost feel like, As opposed yeah, to being I feel like actually, I think what would help everyone is actually not proving that a woman can do it and just, just, just being there, right? Like not constantly being on a mission and I've got to put my best face forward. I've got to act. I've got to be two times as good as the guys to get, you know, to, to get the same result. Uh, I feel like I actually think that women should just, or I hope that, you know, women just, just feel entitled to shit and just be themselves at work. Yeah. Uh, cause I, I, want to be I, I don't think to that hear, other route really works. It, it really doesn't. It sets people up for failure. Um, I really want to be able to read about a woman entrepreneur or, you know, a CEO at a major company 
and not feel this like knot of anxiety in my he- in my stomach like she better not fuck this up yeah well it's also it's i mean it's the pressure of like being a representative versus just being an individual who's acting on their own terms yeah 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 I also don't like the essentializing aspects like, oh, we need more women because they're more nurturing and, you know, and we need that kind of positive energy in the office. Like, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not liking that either. I don't as a guy, I don't like it. I don't like to see when women when I can consciously see women subordinating themselves to fit in with men. Um, yeah. it, it it does bother me in some sense, one, because Probably because uh, it's rarely me who they're subordinating themselves to. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not trying. I'm saying that just because I've always had the benefit of like an outsider status, where I can see this happening from the outside, and it can see it, and it's ugly. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't. There's something about a woman who I can tell is trying to say the right things to make men like her that I just feel I can't go this way. Like, it can't just be this. It's got to be women. It, it should be the other way around too. Like I feel like men should, in some some cases, try to make women like them at work. You know what I mean? Uh, so the yeah, the, I I hope I so I, I we sh- we should probably wrap it up because I got to get going to this uh, little birthday dinner of mine. But uh, I, I, <laughs> this is such a great. We should talk about this a lot more uh, because I think it's super relevant. It, it's very relevant to guys because the reason a lot of these spaces or a lot of the reason male culture has gone this way is simply because I honestly don't believe there's enough women in the room. That that's why guys get this way. Right. They start to learn to be loyal only to other men and they start to think of women as intruders and they start to think of women as, uh, you know, roadblocks, Yoko Ono's. Yeah. Yoko Ono's. Right. Who are going to come in and break up this this great male team, this male uh, cabal that we're putting together. They're just going to get in the way, you know, and then, oh, we can't count on Brett. He's going to get married and become a little bitch. You know, we got to do we got to do the weekends together on the Su Ching sailboat and I'm going to, you know, whatever. Like it just it needs to be like it cannot be a male culture that just views women as like these harpy outsiders that are just going to fuck everything up. Uh, so, yeah. OK, sorry. Uh, <laughs> always uh, another another cheery, bright episode of Escape from Planet. <laughs> <laughs> Featuring Oriana. Uh, yes. Who we don't yes. hear enough of, from. Yeah, yeah. You should jump on a lot more of these, Oriana. We I, yeah. I, I really I really enjoy hearing the uh the young perspective, uh <laughs> the very young perspective from college and stuff and just see how much things have changed. So Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time. I know it's it's a Friday and college Fridays are precious. Oh, are you doing anything well. tonight, Oriana? Your laundry's uh, all done. It's- I don't know. Yeah, my laundry's done. So that's my responsibilities of being an adult <laughs> for the week. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I might go to a friend's party later, but also I might just do my homework. So next yeah. time plan A heads up to, uh, <laughs> next time plan A heads up to, uh, Cambridge, why don't you come with us? Yeah, let me know. I'll catch a yeah. ride. Yeah, Christina said last time you went to go visit her, you told her at the last second and then camped out at the museum. Didn't even have time for her, so let's rectify that. That's a lie. Christina is lying. 
But and so she told us. So. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but yeah, that would be great. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, I'll talk to you later.